This is literally everything, 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 everything. If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh, I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. Welcome back to the little show about books. I'm Odell, and this week I'll be sharing my thoughts on Anastasia Ryan's You Should Smile More, Anna Reyes' The House in the Pines, and Taylor Jenkins Reads, Daisy Jones and the Six. And for Daisy Jones, I'll be discussing both the book and the Amazon Limited series, so there might be a few spoilers. So how are you today? It's Saturday morning. I'm having a nice cup of cinnamon French toast flavored coffee to wake me up. Planning to run some errands after recording this, and then I'm just going to veg on the couch and finish reading The Nightingale. I'm not typically one for historical fiction. Well, let me rephrase that. You will often hear me say I'm not one for historical fiction, yet every time I read one, I really enjoy it. I think maybe I need to stop being a dirty liar and stop saying that. Now, as always, before jumping into my reviews, let's take a look at some of this week's new releases. We will kick things off with Simply Lies by David Baldacci. It's a twisting new psychological thriller in which two women, one a former detective, the other a dangerous con artist, go head-to-head in an electrifying game of cat and mouse. Next, we have From the Grave by Cressley Cole. And y'all, I just got to say something about this book. I have been waiting for it for what feels like 2,000 years. Seriously. I started reading this series, God, probably 10 years ago, maybe. I was still living in Texas, and I've been back in Portland for eight years. So anyway, this is the final book in a series. This is book six. Book five released five years ago. So it's been a while. This is a young adult series where the major arcana of the tarot are real. And every few years they come to life, the world basically ends while the major arcana fight to the death. Really good, really clever. I have been waiting though forever. There was seriously, there was some sort of rumor going around during COVID that she died and the series was never going to be finished or whatever. But finally, finally, We're going to see this book come to light. Or I hope. I guess we'll see tomorrow. But this is Cressley Cole's New York Times bestselling Arcana Chronicles series comes to a spectacular and fiery conclusion in this final installment, 500 years later. Or at least it feels like it. Next book, Symphony of Secrets by Brendan Slocum. The blurb reads, a gripping page-turner about a professor who uncovers a shocking secret about the most famous American composer of all time that his music was stolen from a young black composer named Josephine Reed. Definitely interested in that one. Next is The Golden Doves by Martha Hall Kelly. 
The synopsis for this one reads, Two former female spies, bound together by their past, risk everything to hunt down an infamous Nazi doctor in the aftermath of World War II. Now see, this is where I would say, hmm, if only I were into historical fiction. Evidently I am, but I'm in denial, so maybe I'll have to check that one out. Next we have The Wager by David Gran. This is a historical nonfiction set in 1742, and the synopsis reads, A page-turning story of shipwreck, survival, and savagery, culminating in a court-martial that reveals a shocking truth. The powerful narrative reveals the deeper meaning of the events on The Wager showing that it was not only the captain and crew who ended up on trial, but the very idea of empire. Next, we have The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Andy Africa by Stephen Burrow. The synopsis reads, Crackling with energy and intelligence, this debut is the story of Andrew Aziza, a one-of-a-kind teenager who goes on a journey of self-discovery in the shadow of colonialism and communal violence in Nigeria. Next, we have If We're Being Honest by Kat Shook. The synopsis reads, The snappy, smart, heartwarming story of the Williams family and the sweltering summer that rewrote their history. Clever and completely original, if we're being honest, remind you that while no one can break your heart like your family can, there's really no one better to put you back together. Next, we have Only the Beautiful by Susan Meisner. This is a heart-rending story about a young mother's fight to keep her daughter and the winds of fortune that tear them apart. Next, we have Sizzle Reel by Carlin Greenwald. This is an unputdownable queer coming-of-age rom-com about life and love in Hollywood. And lastly, we have Where Are the Children Now by Mary Higgins Clark and Alifair Burke. Now, this is a sequel to Mary Higgins Clark, Where Are the Children? I read that book. I used to be the biggest Mary Higgins Clark fan. Her books are what turned me on to murder mysteries. I quickly figured out her formula, was always able to figure out who did it. I still loved her books. I think I read all of them. I used to get them through the Doubleday Book Club or whatever. I'm pretty sure I still owe them money. But with this book, I feel like they could have been a little more creative than simply Where Are the Children Now? I guess it's better than Honey, the Damn Kids Are Missing Again. Go find them. But the synopsis for this one reads... The legacy of the Queen of Suspense continues with a highly anticipated follow-up to Mary Higgins Clark's iconic novel, Where Are the Children?, featuring the children of Nancy Harmon facing peril once again as adults. I don't know, I think if I was those kids, I would just stay home. Anyway, those are all of the books releasing this week. Now, my pre-orders for this week included From the Grave, as you probably guessed, as well as Symphony of Secrets, And then I also added, if we're being honest and only the beautiful, to my TBR from this week's new releases. And then other books that I bought this week include You Know Her by Megan Jennett, Dear Edward by Anne Napolitano, Bless Your Heart, Ray Sutton by Susanna B. Lewis, and Where the Dead Sit Talking by Brandon Hobson. And then I added a few to my TBR, and these include Take a Bow, Noah Mitchell by Tobias Madden, and The Black Queen by Jamada Emil. All right, that's that. How about we jump into this week's reviews? I'm going to start with the comedy You Should Smile More by Anastasia Ryan. This book was first published on January 17th, 2023 by Sourcebooks, and the synopsis reads, Telemarketer Vanessa Blair isn't in love with her job. It pays the bills and feeds her foster kittens, but offers only one other perk. Her friendships with Jane Delaney and Trisha Lamb. 
but as mind-numbing as her job is, things are about to get worse. Xavier Adams, her self-absorbed boss, calls Vanessa into the conference room and fires her. The reason? Her facial expressions. Apparently, her resting bitch face is wide awake, and it doesn't matter that her sales numbers are stellar or that she organizes office events. After a girl's night of schnapps and imagining retribution, Vanessa awakens to find that Trisha is more literal than she thought, and has implemented a revenge strategy based on the classic business book, The Art of War by Sun Tzu. At first, Vanessa wants nothing to do with it. She wants to file for unemployment and move on with her life, possibly with Carter Beckett, the cute, cat-loving unemployment rep assigned to her case. But when Xavier contests her unemployment and ruins her shot at her dream job, Vanessa is all in. If you're like me, and you read a lot of thrillers or dark or heavier books, sometimes you just need a light, fluffy read to cleanse the palate. That was exactly what this book delivered. At some point in our lives, we've all had that job that we hate, but we've had to keep it while we look for something better. When I first moved to Texas, I worked at this direct mail marketing place. We basically printed and then mailed marketing material for companies. Many of these companies were nationwide. For me, being in my early 20s, it was tedious, it was ridiculous, but the people who worked there took themselves pretty seriously. My supervisor was cool, but the boss of, for both of us was this tiny little woman, and many people said she was a total tyrant. Now, I didn't see it when I first started there, though everyone warned me from day one that someday she's going to do something to you to prove that she is the boss. And they said, whatever it is, it will be completely ridiculous, totally stupid, but it will sting. So just keep, keep your head up and watch out. At first, I was a little skittish around her, but then after a few weeks, I kind of tossed it aside and forgot about it. And maybe, I guess, I thought I was special or something and she liked me. She was super nice to me whenever I was around her, whenever I met with her. But then again, I was pretty quiet and mostly kept to myself. Well, a few months into the job, I was hating life. The hours were long. I was on my feet a lot. And I was also on call 24-7. So if something went wrong with a file that they were printing overnight, they would call me at home. I don't know what the hell I was going to do. Because honestly, for the full six months that I worked there, I did not know what the fuck I was doing. To this day, I still don't really know what I did there or what that job was about. But anyway, we're at the time, I was coming up on the holidays. I had requested a week off to fly home to Idaho to see my parents. My supervisor and our supposedly tyrannical boss approved my time off. So life was good. Well, about a month later, so right after Thanksgiving, I got an interview at a hospital thanks to a friend of a guy that I was dating at the time. The hospital was a huge cancer center in Houston. I was really excited about this opportunity. So I called in sick that day and went and did the interview. The next day I went into work and little tyrant lady came to my desk and started chewing me out for calling in sick so close to when I was supposed to be on vacation. Now, keep in mind, I had sick time. I was also about two or three weeks away from this Christmas time off. So it wasn't like it was a day before or something. So I'm sitting there looking at her like, bitch, what's your problem? Because I have this inability to hide exactly what I'm thinking. It shows all over my face. So she says something to the effect of, I highly doubt that you were sick yesterday. You seem fine now. You calling in sick yesterday really put a strain on all of us here. And because of that, I have no choice but to revoke your vacation. You now have to work over Christmas. 
I was like, uh, sorry, I just spent a butt ton of money on a non-refundable ticket to fly home. And she said, well, that's not my problem. And then she stood there and she glared at me. So I stared right back. And then she started flaring her nostrils and then she did this like soap opera stare where she kind of lifted her chin a little like she really meant business. And I started laughing in her face because she looked so ridiculous. And then she said, I'm serious. If you don't come in, you'll be fired. And we both know you don't want that. I'm thinking, "Uh, honey, I actually do want that. So a few days later, I found out that I got the job at the hospital and I quit immediately. And trust me when I say I did not look back. Now, all that to say, I totally understood the woes of Vanessa, our main character, except her boss, Xavier, is even more ridiculous. He was part Michael Scott from The Office and then part Gabe Parrish from Shrill, that Hulu series with A.D. Bryant. Very good. If you've not watched it, you should. When Xavier fires Vanessa for having a resting bitch face, (laughs) she is beyond confused. She refuses to take the separation package and instead files for unemployment, but he fights back. So with the help of a couple of work friends, one who was also fired and then another one who still works there but is hanging by a string, they take revenge. Now first they install a monitor in his conference room and each of them has a receiver at home so they can listen in on the conversations that are going on there. When Vanessa's feisty mother and her group of friends that she lovingly calls the Bridge Brigade because they get together and play bridge all the time. When they get involved, hilarity ensues because they all are trying to bring down Xavier and expose Directus, which is the telemarketing company that she used to work for. They intend to expose their shady business practices and enact their revenge on Xavier. They kidnap his hairless cat They glitter bomb the conference room via the AC unit. I mean, they do all sorts of crazy shit. Along the way, Vanessa meets the sexy, tattooed Carter Beckett. He's a fellow cat lover and the man handling her unemployment claim. She falls for him. The book is filled with many laugh-out-loud moments, and I immediately wanted to be friends with Vanessa and her co-conspirators, Trisha and Jane. I've had these types of work relationships. They're the best. The dialogue in the book is quick and witty, The plot moves quickly along and all the characters are fully developed. This is one that I would definitely recommend to anyone looking for a fun, light, hilarious read. I gave it four out of five stars on Goodreads. All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back for the final two reviews. All right, next we'll take a look at The House in the Pines by Anna Reyes. This book was first published on January 3rd, 2023 by Dutton and was Reese's book club pick for January 2023. The synopsis read, Maya was a high school senior when her best friend Aubrey mysteriously dropped dead in front of the enigmatic man named Frank whom they had been spending time with all summer. Seven years later, Maya lives in Boston with a loving boyfriend and is kicking the secret addiction that has allowed her to cope with what happened years ago, the gaps in her memories, and the lost time that she can't account for. But her past comes rushing back when she comes across a recent YouTube video in which a young woman suddenly keels over and dies in a diner while sitting across from none other than Frank. Plunged into the trauma that has defined her life, Maya heads to her Berkshire's home to relive that fateful summer the influence Frank once had on her, and the obsessive jealousy that nearly destroyed her friendship with Aubrey. At her mother's house, she excavates fragments of her past and notices hidden messages in her deceased Guatemalan father's book that didn't stand out to her earlier. 
To save herself, she must understand a story written before she was born. But time keeps running out, and soon all roads are leading back to Frank's cabin. Utterly unique and captivating, The House in the Pines keeps you guessing about whether we can ever fully confront the past and return home. So when I read the synopsis of this book, I thought for sure I was going to love it. Sadly, that was not the case. I'm not someone who enjoys delivering bad reviews. I have written books. I know how hard it is. I know how much time and how much of you goes into your work. And when someone doesn't like it, it stings. But I also know that most modes of entertainment, be it books, movies, music, are totally subjective. So what I don't like, someone else likes and vice versa. That said, this book just didn't hit the mark for me. I will say that I really like the unreliable narrator trope. Maya, our main character, is determined to kick her addiction to clonopin, which she picked up seven years prior after her best friend mysteriously died. Convinced that Frank is responsible for Aubrey's death, Maya discovers another mysterious death and watches a video of what happened before the woman mysteriously died. This is where she spots who she believes is Frank with that woman. So Maya leaves behind her loving boyfriend Dan to travel back to her hometown to visit her mom and try to get to the bottom of what really happened to Aubrey and maybe bring Frank down. Now keep in mind, Maya is coming down off of a seven-year clonopin addiction. So yeah, a whole number of things could be clouding her better judgment. I was all in. I thought for sure that maybe there was some sort of paranormal element to this because why else would women just drop dead for no apparent reason? The problem was, the story never really went anywhere, in my opinion. I found myself confused a lot of the time, but I kept pushing forward, convinced it would all make sense eventually. As I do, I started putting my theories together, one of them that I came up with it, I kind of did it jokingly. I actually chuckled a bit when I thought of it because it seemed like it was a storyline straight out of Days of Our Lives or something. When that theory was the one that played out, all the eye rolls ensued. I'm not going to give it away, but it was ridiculous to me. Now to make things worse, while Maya is able to prove who killed these women and how he killed them, there were no repercussions for the dude. The villain disappears, justice is not served, and Maya goes back to living her life with only the knowledge that she was right, but with no resolution. Now on one hand, I know that not everything in life is tied up in this nice pretty package, but usually we get some sort of closure, even if it's simply the growth of a character, but I don't feel like we even got that. In the end, it all left me wondering what the point of the book was. Sadly, I gave this one a single star on Goodreads. It just didn't hit the mark for me. Now, I would love to hear from folks on this one. Love it or hate it, let me know why. You can do so by sending me a message or a voice message from the contact page at justreadedalready.com. Okay, we're going to close out on a high note with another Reese's Book Club pick. We're going to take a look at Daisy Jones and the Six. I will be comparing the book to the Amazon series a little bit, so there might be a few spoilers. So if you've not read the book or watched the TV series, you might want to skip this one. And if that's the case, I hope to see you back next week. So Daisy Jones and the Six was first published on March 5th, 2019 by Ballantine Books. And the synopsis reads, For a while, Daisy Jones and the Six were everywhere. Their albums were on every turntable. They sold out arenas from coast to coast. Their sound defined an era. And then, on July 12th, 1979, they split. Nobody ever knew why, until now. They were lovers and friends and brothers and rivals. 
They couldn't believe their luck until it ran out. This is their story of the early days and the wild nights, but everyone remembers the truth differently. The only thing that they all know for sure is that from the moment Daisy Jones walked barefoot on stage at the Whiskey, their lives were irrevocably changed. Making music is never just about the music, and sometimes it can be hard to tell where the sound stops and the feelings begin. When I first saw this book pop up, I didn't really pay it any mind. It didn't seem like the type of book I would be into, but then I saw the teaser trailer for it and my interest peaked. Initially, I decided I would just watch the series, but then on a whim, I bought the book and decided to read it before the series started, and I am so glad I did. I loved it so much. Once again, proved myself wrong, and so maybe I need to start giving books that I think I won't be into more of a chance. Lesson learned. This one is a quick read. I love the style. The entire thing is written like a documentary. It's a series of interviews with members of the band and the producers, and as well as some friends and family of the band. So the premise is Daisy Jones and the Six were huge in the late 70s. But before Daisy, the band was just the Dunn Brothers. It was started by Billy and Graham Dunn and their friends in Pennsylvania. The band grows in popularity locally. They eventually head to LA to make it big, and that they do. The band ends up making an album, they go on tour, Billy gets caught up in drugs and women and almost loses his wife Camilla and his new daughter in the process. Billy eventually goes to rehab, changes his ways, he didn't like who he'd become, once he's out of rehab he comes back with a new attitude. He's happy for his newfound sobriety and he's happy his wife never left him, so he writes a song for Camilla titled Honeycomb. It's good, but the producers and most of the rest of the band feel like it's too safe. So this is when one of the producers brings in Daisy Jones to amp things up. Daisy grew up in a loveless home. She's always loved music. At a young age, she started sneaking out and going to concerts and partying with a band, which led to a coke and alcohol and pill-popping habit. She's written a few songs. She's good, but she's never really made it. So the addition of Daisy to the Honeycomb track makes it an instant hit, and despite Billy and Daisy not getting along, their chemistry is undeniable. The producers convince the two of them to do an album together. It's bumpy, tempers flare, but they manage to do it. Billy and Daisy begin to grow close in this process, but Billy is committed to his wife and his daughters, and Daisy is too committed to her drugs and her drinking, but their chemistry is undeniable. As Daisy and the band head out on tour, they're on top of the world. The fame and fortune they've all dreamed of is in the palm of their hands. So, why did they suddenly break up? That's the question that the interviewer is trying to answer. In the book, everyone is being interviewed roughly 40 years, which is my best estimate in the future. So, the band members are all, like, in their 60s now. And as one would expect, memories fade over time. But the author does a great job at showing the many perspectives of those who are involved in this band's success. The story is compelling, and the revelation of who is conducting the interview is super sweet, and they're doing it all as a tribute to the one person who kept this band afloat as they chased their dreams, and it makes that even more poignant. I love the book. I gave it a very solid 5 out of 5 stars on Goodreads. Now, the series dropped on Amazon about a week after I finished the book, so of course I watched it, and I tuned in every week for another three episodes. Overall, I really liked the series as well. It followed the book pretty closely with a few minor changes. For example, in the book, the band had six members plus Daisy, but in the series, there are only five members of the band, and then Camilla, Billy's girlfriend and eventual wife, 
is the honorary sixth member of the band. They also changed a lot of the songs and lyrics which were included in the book. In fact, I'm not sure that any of the songs in the book actually made the series. They kept the titles of a couple of the songs, Aurora and then Honeycomb. But I think that's all they kept. The songs are definitely catchy. Seriously, I play Look At Us Now every time I get in the car. Of course, I bought the album. I also downloaded all of the EPs from each episode. Amazon's done a great job with the merch for this one, for sure. Aside from the album and the various singles, you can also buy Daisy Jones and the Six t-shirts and other tour merch, which is really cool. What I like about the series is it fleshed out a lot of the stories as well. As I mentioned earlier, the book is written as a sort of documentary, so you're reading everything through the lens of the people who live this. But in the series, you get to dive into things a little more with flashbacks and whatnot. You still get the interview aspect, but the series only jumps forward, I think it's to the 90s, rather than to 2019. So they only jump forward like 20 years. But when you get the flashbacks, we get to go deeper. I especially liked episode 7, it's titled She's Gone, because we get to see Simone's story fleshed out a lot more. We get to know more of who she is. In the book and in the series, Simone is Daisy's best friend. She's probably the first person to show Daisy any sort of love and loyalty. And we know in the book that Simone had a successful disco career. But in the series, we get to see how her career takes off, some of the things she had to deal with, We get to see her fall in love and the things she had to deal with when she had to decide between the fame she had always wanted versus being true to who she really is. In the end, I liked the series just as much as I loved the book. I thought it was perfectly cast, and the changes made to the series didn't ruin it at all. I highly recommend both of them. All right, that's all I have for you today. Now, don't forget, if you'd like to write in or leave me a message, you can do so from the contact page on the website at justreaditalready.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts on any of the books that I've discussed or for you to share your book recommendations with me. Don't forget to check out some of the other podcasts that literally everything is involved in. Six Degrees of WTF is a true crime podcast. We're no longer releasing new episodes, but there are several out there for you to listen to. I am also launching Back Where We Belong with my friend Aaron on May 3rd. On this podcast, we'll be re-watching some of our favorite movies from when we were growing up, focusing mostly on the 80s and 90s. We'll also be discussing the music that was popular at the time of the movie, when it was released, and what was happening in the world at that time. And then Aaron and her friend Conrad have a podcast titled Here's Drinking With You Kid, where they watch and discuss the top 100 movies from the American Film Institute list. New episodes of that show drop on Tuesdays. You can find all of these shows on your favorite podcast app. Now be sure to join me next week when I'll share my thoughts on The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, Bathhouse, and What Have We Done. Have a great week. I'll see you next time.